This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Hello, Ella. How are you? I'm doing well, Beck. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back to our show. We have Kate in the studio today, and she is going to tell us a story about a past relationship that I think will resonate with a lot of our listeners, though we are anxious to jump in. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? I don't. Let's get started. All right. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being willing to do this. We really appreciate it. All right. So Kate is here to tell us about Justin. So Kate, where did you meet Justin? Uh, I actually met him. My dad and his uncle were best friends and I met him through him, through his uncle at my house. So they were cutting down trees, but um, we didn't actually start talking or anything until a couple of years later. That was the first time I met him. He was just hanging out and my girlfriend was like, hey, we should invite him to the movies. And I was like, I thought they were talking about his uncle. And I was like, that dude's old. <laughs> um, but anyway, we invited him to the movies. He went out with us that night, went to a party with us that night. And then we didn't talk again for two years. So how did he show back up? I started working at the same place that he worked at and I serviced the building that he worked in. And he was kind of an asshole the first night that we met. So... I went to his building to like be introduced to everyone and he still had my phone number and he texted me that night and was like, Hey, I'm sorry for being an asshole when we first met. Let's go get a drink. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and honestly, it was every night after that. We just started right hanging out. Yeah. So how long were you together? 10 years. Wow. I mean, yeah, it was 10 years all together. Okay. So talk to us about how it progressed through the years. What was it like? I mean, initially it was a lot of fun. It was definitely really free. I didn't know it then, but we were early 20s. We were going to the bars. We were drinking every night, hanging out, you know, doing all the fun stuff. It was, it was fun for the first year and a half or so. And then we got into a pretty explosive fight and I left came back and that was when he was going to Afghanistan. So that kind of, I honestly didn't think we'd make it through that. So I was like, yeah, we'll ride this out and see how long this lasts. And then we were together for another eight years. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he's not in the military just to clarify. That, right. right. He was a contractor. Right. Yeah. Okay. Most people would think Afghanistan is a soldier. Yeah. So we've already mm -hmm. had some soldier situations and I don't want to get any hate mail. So what happened when he got back from Afghanistan? He was, he would be gone for 90 or yeah, 90 days home for 30. And the 30 days he was home was just party, a nonstop 30 day party. Cause obviously he didn't have to go to work and he had bukus of money to right. spend. So we were, I mean, really just partying for 30 days straight before I started a, a real nine to five job. I didn't work either. I mean, we would just sleep until noon and nice get up and hang out and then go to the bar at night. That's a good gig if you can get it. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> he did that for four years, maybe. So the first two years or so were fine. Normal. I mean, as far as that right. being normal. And then it started being kind of weird before he would come home and be like, pack your shit and get out. Don't be there when I get there. And then he would always like talk me into staying. I don't know. It was just like this back and forth. He would try to control what I was doing from over there. But 
it was just like this very slow, gradual thing. So I didn't notice it. I had started working back at the military base at that point. I got laid off. I started getting my master's degree and he was really pushing me to do that. He was like, you need to get a real job and you need to have a degree and like, you need to do all these things. He would talk about, I'm going to come home and not work. I've worked this whole time and supported you. So I'm going to come home and not work. I didn't contribute basically. And so that started me not looking forward to him coming home so much. Right. <laughs> uh, and the, can't imagine why. Yeah, right. And then, of course, I was in school working, you know, doing all the things and he would come home and still want to do the 30 day partying. And I couldn't do that. So there was some tension. Then when he came home for good, he actually came home on leave and they ended the contract while he was home. So he didn't go back unexpectedly. We hadn't lived together in four years. I mean, longer than 30 days at a time. So that started a whole, you're in my space and my routine and my things. And he just expected all these things. He didn't cook or clean or do any of the stuff. So everything had to be exactly like you wanted it. So of course that started fights too. Then he started hanging out with his friends a lot more without me. We always did everything together, just doing things that I wasn't really comfortable with. Because you guys had a very intertwined circle of friends. Mm -hmm. Is this prior to that? Mm -hmm. Or this is that same circle of friends that yeah. you're both friends with everybody in that circle? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. so that makes it extra odd though. Like it really does. friends with all of them, like why all of a sudden you can't go? Yeah. Right. And I knew what really started everything. People would tell me something is wrong. His behavior, his movements. He just started staying up all night. I'll tell his aunt because she's like, his uncle won't get a job. He was on the same contract. So he came home the same time. Like he needs to get a job and help support the family. And I was like, oh no, he's doing great. He just stays on the building all night, works on these cars and is a mechanic. So he had his own shop at home. And I would go out in the morning and he would be sleeping in the chair and I hadn't showered for a day or two. And that was very unlike him. So everybody started telling me, like something is wrong, something is off. And it just went in one ear out the other. You could not have convinced me that he was doing anything. And then shortly after that, his mom told me I had reached out to her. Something is weird. Something is off. And she was like, well, you know, his dad at the same age had mental breakdown. So I just accounted it to that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is what's happening. So he just needs some extra help. And it was Christmas time. One of my friends came over to hang out and watch true crime documentaries. And he was in the building and he... The best way to spend the evening. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, came inside and he was like, just randomly like, why are you guys watching this shit? You're trying to figure out how to cut me up and put me in a backpack. And we were like, what? That's very specific. And very <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Way too specific. laughs> My girlfriend got up to go to the restroom and dropped her phone, like when she was pulling up her pants or something. And he like, ran to the bathroom and opened the door while she was still pulling her pants up, like convinced that she had a gun and she was going to kill him. And so that was like, this. she was like, I'm going home. Like, this is crazy. You know, yep, that's a good time to go home. Yeah. I feel like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that started me like questioning what was going on because why? And then it just slowly progressed, right? I couldn't bring my phone in the house. He broke my computer because people were listening to us. It was just all of these things, but I still didn't know yet. Like, it got to a point where he punched a hole in the wall. He was never physically violent. He was never physically aggressive. He swiped some coffee cups off the counter one time and then left the dog in the middle of Hopkinsville, had the dog with him. They went for a drive and he came back without the dog. And I was like, where's the dog? Because he was mad at you. Yeah. Right. And it's your, that dog's your baby. Yeah. And 
he wouldn't tell me. And he was like, oh, it has a new owner, you know, whatever. And then finally told me that the dog jumped out of the truck and wouldn't get back in the truck. So he just left. I had to like go find the dog. One of my girlfriends just happened to know he picked up someone along the way, like that was walking down the road. My friend just happened to know them because they were like, this crazy dude picked me up and had a dog. That guy says that the dog just jumped out of the truck, but he didn't try to get the dog back. Those were all the things that started me being like, okay, something is weird. So I moved my stuff out. I could not function every day with all of that going on and go to work. We had a conversation and I was like, you know, I I think that I need to move my things out and we'll figure this out or we'll do whatever to make this work. And after I moved out, I called his mom and told her what was going on. And I was like, you need to come hang out with your kid. And, and she lived in a different state. So like, I can't do this Somebody else needs to come and, and figure this out. And she was like, okay, well, I'll buy a ticket tonight. Can you let me, can you go tell him that I'm coming so he doesn't freak out when I get there at midnight, one o'clock, you know, and we didn't lock our doors. So just walk in the house. And so I went over to tell him and I don't know what happened on the way or like maybe it was something that her and I talked about. I, I don't remember. But when I walked into the house, he had moved all of the furniture out of the house and he was just sitting in a chair in the living room in the like bare living room, one recliner with the dog, like we, that was after I, I went and got the dog and brought the dog back. And he had a Trisket box that has like two red squares for the eyes, a Candyland game piece that had two red squares. And I don't remember the third thing, but there was like something else with two red squares. And he had like all of these books laid out in the living room and like the same word was highlighted in all the books. And he was like, tell me what all of this means. I said, it doesn't mean anything. There is no connection. I You are losing your mind. And it was just... I don't know instinct. I don't know, like I said, from the conversation, but I was like, are you using drugs? And he was like, not in the last 24 hours. And I was like, are you using meth? And he was like, not in the last 24 hours. So I was like, are you getting meth from this person? And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then everything just made sense. And I left and his mom came and it just got crazier from there, really. Let's back up for a second. What was your experience or knowledge of drugs in general up into that point? I was never, I've never used drugs. Um, so I don't know personally, like I've, I've smoked weed a couple of times, but I've never done anything outside of that. I mean, but you were very like naive to the, yeah. the signs and symptoms. Is that sure. correct? Yeah. I, yeah. I was never really around it. None of my circle that I knew of at the time right. <laughs> um, was, yeah. No, I would never have known what to look for at all. I mean, outside of something just laying on the counter and being off or, you know, something being in his pocket when I was doing laundry, like I, and it wasn't like outside of there being something blatant, I, yeah. Like tangible that you could see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened from the, the night of the triangle? His mom came and I obviously called her after that conversation. She was on her way at that point. Um, she's actually at the airport. So I called her and she told me what her, what her flight plans were. I said, I just wanted to let you know before you get here that I asked him these questions and here's the answers. And you're still, are you still thinking it's a mental health situation at this point or? I guess like just the history of my dad's an alcoholic, all of those things. And it's different than drugs, but I just immediately was like, it's the drugs. I think that's fair that that was my initial reaction. Yeah, for sure. But after that, so I, I told her what was going on and of course she had a million questions. I was not prepared to answer. So she got here. I took off work that day and we went to just a local facility thinking like, oh, we'll get him some help and this will be fine. And and honestly, it was such a shit show. It was no help. He didn't have income at the time. Like he had already spent all of his money was not, there was no stable income. There was no help. And he was refusing help. He wouldn't tell them really what was going on. 
So the setup when they left there and I met them was that he would get involved in some kind of therapy and maybe like go to AA. That was the fix. I also think his mom was very naive to it because she stayed for two weeks and I'm still living with my friend and she's staying with him. So I'd go over there every night and see what the update was. And I went over there after she had been here for maybe four or five days. And I was like, you know, how was today? Whatever. And she was like, I think everything's gonna be fine. He had a really good day. And I was like, you are oh, good. Should I just bring the moving truck right now? Like, I mean, do you want to help me pack my stuff? You are insane <laughs> if you think. <laughs> so she stayed for about two weeks and obviously had other obligations. So she went back home and I mean, he was doing AA and a all the things, but it, it was two weeks. So it was much easier at the time and it was just like my comfort to be there so i moved all my stuff back in well and because it was all gonna be fine yeah (laughs) he was gonna be fine right i don't think i was i was so naive to believe that but (laughs) i did think like oh he's gonna put in the work it's gonna be great he's gonna get better We had like this this deal, I guess. You can't be in the building by yourself. You know, he told me that that was a trigger. There were a couple, I don't remember the other things, but there were a couple of things that were triggers for him that he could tell me. And he started telling me like lots of stuff. Some of them I think were lucid and some of them I think weren't. He would set up VPNs. I didn't even know what a VPN was until that point. Like I couldn't log on to my computer. I couldn't watch Netflix, anything because he was so paranoid that someone was watching us. So the friends that were hanging out. I mean, they are, but they don't care. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> They're listening to all of us through our devices, but they don't give a shit. They just want to sell us shit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's all it is. They can't sell you something. They don't give a fuck what you're saying. Right. <laughs> he, all the, all the people that, you know, normally hung out, stopped hanging out, right? It was common knowledge after that of, of what was going on. So this other guy that we had hung out with way in the beginning of our relationship, that, I mean, I kind of forgot about started showing up again. And I guess I just didn't really make the connection of what was going on. But anyway, he started using again without me knowing. And I just thought it's going to take time, right? One of the things he told me that I didn't know was he was using meth for the better part of our relationship. We were together for 10. He was using meth for eight. I just immediately dove into the research, right? And like, how long is this going to take? Are are you going to ever be the same person? And I didn't realize he was using again because I just thought like, oh, it's going to take time to get better and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. I've never... Right. addicted to drugs. So right. trying to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. He went off the deep end again and it started getting really bad. Like the whole furniture being on the lawn, like he would just randomly do that. Like I'd come home from work and everything was in the dumpster. Everything was on the front lawn for, it was, it was crazy. The things that were happening. That was kind of an ultimatum for me with him was you have to get help or I'm not staying. And so he called me at work one day and was just like, if I don't go to rehab right now, I'm not going. And so I was like, yep. How did you find resources for that? I called my insurance company on the way to him. Took me 30 minutes to get from work to home. And I called my insurance company and he was on my insurance. So like, Mm -hmm. here's the deal. What can you do? And they were like, the closest bed that we have today is in Texas. So we can do it today, but you have to be there today. For listeners, we're nowhere near Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Not even Nowhere near. I didn't even care at that point. Like what it was, what the cost, like I didn't even ask any more questions. Just yes. What is it? Can you sign him up for that? send me whatever I need to, you know, do I need to get off the phone and book flights. Like that was kind of it. 
So I got there and I was like, you need to pack a bag right now. We're going to go to Texas. And so he couldn't even pack his bag. It was like watching a kid with ADHD. He would go pick up something and then be distracted by something else. Like there was no connection. So I packed his bag. I flew with him to Texas. And when we got there, he was like, all right, come on. We got there like two o'clock in the morning and the van is waiting for him to go to rehab. And he's like, aren't you coming with me? And I'm like, you've lost your mind. And he's like, we're going on vacation. Like this is vacation. And I'm like, no, like you're going to rehab. We talked about this the entire plane ride. So he finally agreed to go because obviously they're not going to take him against his will. So he goes and it was two weeks of just straight hell. He would leave rehab because they can't hold you against your will. The cops would call me. The cops there must be so much nicer than they are here because <laughs> they would just call me and be like, hey, we have, uh, what do you want us to do with him? And I'm like, take him to jail. So I know where he's at. Take he him back to bet. rehab. I don't know. Apparently when you're not a person of color, they're very helpful. Yeah, no doubt. So he called me one time and he's like, I'm standing in the middle of Walmart. I have no money. My bag got stolen and my wallet's gone and I'm going to steal money or I'm going to steal food because I'm hungry. And I was like, go for it. Tell him what you're doing so I know what jail you're at. Good like, for you. I can't. He called me a couple of times, like, you better get your ass in the truck and come and get me. I'm not staying here. And it was super hard. I absolutely contemplated getting in the truck and going to get him. He convinced his mom to buy him a ticket home. He said that he was at the Austin airport and that he would jump from the building so basically threatening suicide if she didn't buy him a ticket. And I'm like, how the hell is he going to jump from the outside of an airport? Have you been to an airport? The security, he's not getting outside. But regardless, she bought him a ticket home. And when she called me, I said, if you buy him a ticket here, he's not coming home. So she bought him a ticket to go to his family's house in Ohio. And it just coincidentally happened that his uncle was coming home. He had started another contract. He's coming home the same day. So they met at the airport. And this whole time that he's in rehab, this two weeks, it was like $4,000 getting, we had a five bedroom, four bath house, this huge house. I knew he wasn't gonna be able to pay the mortgage. It's all in his name. I was just trying to help him out. So I'm like, let's redo the, the little things and put it on Airbnb and we'll rent it out until he can figure out what he wants to do with it. Which was very kind of you. Uh, yes. We're, we're spending, I mean, every moment after work, getting this house ready. Some of his family came down to help me. So he flies back to Ohio. And the plan was originally that his uncle would, when he got back to Ohio, come down to help me take care of all the vehicles and things. There were still vehicles there that he was working on that people couldn't drive. And he would help me get those back to whoever owned them and, and off the property. When he was on the way down, he calls me and says, I have Justin with me. <laughs> I mean, of course, I was excited to see him and excited that he was coming home. But I, I also it, like I knew he shouldn't come home. So he gets there and we have like a little family meeting on the front porch. And I'm like, I have to go to work every day. Like, I have to do these things. And he can't be by himself here. Like, this entire place is a trigger for him. So you brought him, you own it. I came home from work one day and it just fell No refunds off. or exchange. <laughs> no returns accepted. I wish I would have said that then. <laughs> um, but he, it just fell off. You broke it, you buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny the more you think about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which is really weird because that was his aunt and uncle and they were the only ones that were hardcore on my side in my corner, you know, for this, all these things. And like, he brought them back. But anyway, I came home from work, felt weird. And I went to, we went to bed that night, left that alone. And I woke up at like a stupid hour, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning and he wasn't in the bed. I immediately knew. And so I get up yep. and 
you could see the building from our living room and the building lights are on. And I was like, I already know what's going on. So I walk out there and I'm like, what are you doing? And I knew then to look for like his eyes are dilated and you know, all the things. And so I just went back to bed. I mean, what do you do? So I just went back to bed, got up the next morning to go to work. His uncle was up and I was like, Hey, like he's using again. You have to take him back with you or he has to do something. The house is already rented. You know, we had like three weeks until people were showing up. He has to go back with you. He cannot be here if he wants to keep this house. Like this is what's happening. And I'm going to just set you guys up as the admins to this Airbnb and, you know, be done. And he convinced me to come back that night and eat dinner. You know, not his uncle, him. I got to work and it was a... maybe like lunchtime, I get a phone call from his uncle and he was like, which which location do you work at? And so I told him and he said, I'll be there in about half an hour with all of your things. Don't go back to the house. And I was just like, mm, okay, no one's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> so he gets there. I'll do what I want. <laughs> and he's got all my things. And my dog, he knew that I couldn't take my dog with me wherever I was going. So he was like, I'm going to take the dog back with me to Ohio. I'll keep him until you can figure out what you're doing. But here's all your stuff. Don't go back there. And so I try to like, well, why? Like, you know, and he's like, no, like, do not go back to the house. I'll call you when I get home. You know, just go back to work, whatever. And I'm like, okay, so go back to work, call him when I get off. And he's like, he's using again, for sure. I, I wasn't convinced this morning when you said that, but he is. And he basically wants us to say that he's an adult and we should be okay with him doing whatever he wants to do. And we shouldn't hold it against him and it doesn't affect us and like that whole narrative. Right. And so I didn't, I went to my parents' house and that was a Thursday. So he texted me and called me all weekend and I didn't answer. I didn't text back. I wanted to, but I didn't. Good for you. That's a tough one. It was tough. tough. Yeah, it was really tough because you just feel all these other people and rightfully so not have given up on him, but have put distance in between themselves and him and he has no one. So like, how do you, you need people, right? How do you walk away? Yeah. 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 It's hard. So the last text message that I, that I got that night was, I just don't understand why I have to be alone. Like I have no one to talk to. And I was like, I'm going to text him back. And then I was talking to my mom. I didn't tell my mom a whole lot about what was going on. She knew the big stuff, right? But I didn't really tell her all the little stuff. And so I was like, you know, I really want to text him back. I told her about this. And she was like, don't do it. You know, I'm just going to pull you back into whatever. <sighs> and it was the first night that I was actually meeting my now my sister-in-law. Um, but my brother's girlfriend came over. And so it was a distraction, right? But I went to sleep. We went to sleep really late. My mom had just had surgery. So she was up and down a lot that night being uncomfortable. And we finally went to sleep. It was like two o'clock and she had to sleep in the chair sitting up. So I just slept on the couch beside her and I just fallen asleep and my phone rang and it was one of my friends. I used to watch her kids all the time. They had a room at my house and I thought about not answering it. And then I was like, Oh, something's probably wrong with the kids. And so I answered it and she was just super panicked. Like, where are you at? And I was like, I'm at my parents' house. Why? And she was like, where's the dog at? And I was like, in Ohio, why? And she was like, your house is on fire. Her and her husband was a firefighter. So I was like, you have to tell their husband, Justin's probably in the house. They were like, he's home. And I was like, yeah, he's home. So I just didn't even think about it. Like I'm just getting my wallet and keys and like getting in the car. And I'm an hour away. My parents lived an hour away from where I lived. Of course, I wake my mom up and trying to get all my things. And she's like going with you. She just had surgery. We're fighting. I'm like, no, you're not. You're staying here. So she goes with me. She's my mom. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we get like maybe 15 minutes down the road. And it felt like the fastest, but like slowest drive of my life. And I'm like, oh, I should probably call his family. 
Right. Like I should probably tell someone, you know, what's going on. And then I was going back and forth about so early in the morning and I don't even know what's happening yet. Like, do I call them? And yes, I'm calling them. So I call them and I'm like, this is, you know, what's going on, whatever. So I get almost to the house and I realize that if he's not in the house, he's in the building and the building is locked. It's detached, right? So I don't have keys anymore because I've left all of those things there. And I know that they're going to be looking for him. And I'm just thinking that this there's this really long stretch of road. It's just straight. And I'm just thinking that this whole time. And my mom is trying to talk to me. I am never mean to my mom. Mom was my best friend growing up. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm just trying to think. And I just happened to see one of our friend's trucks at his girlfriend's house as we're passing it. And I'm like, oh, he can get in. He's a volunteer firefighter, first of all. But he also lived at that building with us. He can absolutely get in. And so I didn't even knock. Like, I just walked straight in this girl's house like not even thinking about it, just like walk straight in. He's sleeping on the couch. Like, I guess they had fought that night. And I'm like, get in the truck. <laughs> and she's like, what is going on? The house is on fire. We can't find him. And I mean, of course he's just up and we get there and I had to park in the neighbor's driveway because my driveway was full of fire trucks. And I mean, the house is gone at this point. It's it's not, there's still part of the structure, but I just like take off running across the field. Like I'm going to spit on it and put it out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but <laughs> why is everyone standing around? This place just, is right. And my mom like grabs my hand and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, let go of me. Everyone's trying to talk to me and just trying to get to the house. I'm just trying to find him. And finally, the guy that I stopped to get to help me grabs a hold of the back of my shirt and he's just pulling me and I am just steadily cussing him out. And he's like, what are you going to do when you get there? <laughs> and I was like, that's, I'll worry about that when I get there. But anyway, I finally just stopped and went back. And of course, everyone's trying to talk to me again. And one of the kids, the the thing I think that I will never forget from that, there's a lot of things I won't forget. But the thing that always like sticks out when I'm thinking about that night was she comes up and gives me a hug and she's like, I'm so sorry you lost your house. Like, all of our memories are there. It was just like a turning point. Finally, I was just like, you know what? If he's in the house at this point, there's nothing I can do. They still haven't found him. So standing at the end of my driveway with all these cops and they're asking me all these questions, they're trying to find him. I guess the firefighters, I didn't know at the time, but had already been through the house and couldn't find him. But the fire was so hot that they didn't know yet. So the guy that I stopped to pick up to get in the building, I could see the cops trying to get in the building and he just walked walks over to the truck that's parked there and gets the keys out and is like, would you guys like to get in this building? <laughs> so they go in and they had cut the power so they couldn't see anything. Finally get him, bring him out. And he was in the building. Yeah. Sleeping or like avoiding the police? They said he was sleeping when they found him. He hadn't drank in about a month and went and bought a 12 pack and drank all of them and had the couch in the building by the roll-up door and was sleeping on the couch. So... Put him in the cop car, obviously bring him to the end of the driveway. And um, they're like, do you want to see him before? And I was like, no, absolutely not. So they took him to do a psych evaluation. Whoever was left there, they came up and they were like, you know, we don't think we're going to be able to save the house. And I was like, yeah, I mean, let that shit burn. What are you guys doing? It's gone at this point. And then I drove back to my parents' house, like six or seven o'clock in the morning at that point. And then, of course, he, you know, tried to call and text and all the things when he got out of a psych eval because they said he was fine. How did the fire start? Mm -hmm inconclusive as far as the investigators were concerned but we had a wood burning stove in our home and when he was in the middle of all of his paranoia i mean like he burned everything like he would put pictures in there and books and everything anything he thought was dirty they actually the the fire investigators called me and they were like oh it's pretty convenient that you're the ex-girlfriend and you just moved all your stuff out and then the house catches on fire and i was like that is convenient isn't it but my parents have cameras so i will show you where i was at but they told me i didn't know he was gonna go all lisa left eye lopez <laughs> 
<laughs> they told me in that conversation that the insurance company, you know, had done their investigation, but it's not illegal to burn your own house down. It's illegal to claim insurance on it. So right. as long as he didn't claim insurance and just paid his mortgage like normal, then no harm, no foul, right? So they didn't really press the investigation any further, but they couldn't say that it started from the stove, but they said that if he filed insurance, then they would have big investigators come out and they could prove it that he started it. So what do you think? Oh yeah. He burned that house down. Absolutely. Unintentionally like, that I was, or like, coming back. just, Oh no, it, I think he did it intentionally. It, oh, okay. No, I don't think there was any part of unintentional about it. It wasn't like a manic state throwing a bunch of shit in the stove. I don't think so. Yeah. He was, I don't, obviously. He was it, like, oh, fuck it. The house is dirty. So I'm just going to burn down. The I was going to burn the whole thing down. <laughs> I don't know how to clean this shit. Meth logic. Yeah. He was the most careful person that I knew. And if he didn't know how to do something, he would learn how to do it. Yeah. He would just research it and figure it out. Like, there's no part of me that thinks that he didn't know what he was doing. Mm. I mean, yeah, maybe he was high and like that helped. But yeah, he he asked he asked a couple of people who told me after um, like we had a friend that their house caught on fire by accident. And it was from an old laptop that was plugged in on the couch and it got too hot and, you know, caught the couch on fire. And he asked them, how did you make that look like an accident before he set the house on fire? Mm, so, okay. Yeah. And there were a couple of other, like, I don't remember the specifics, but people that would be like, oh yeah, he said this to me or he asked me that. Did he ever admit it to you? Those words never came out of his mouth. But the thing that I learned about him was that I had to ask him the right question. He would, he never lied to me except for by omission. He would never, if I asked him a direct question, I just didn't know the questions to ask. But if I asked him a direct question, he would, he would tell me, or he would tell me that he wouldn't answer it. And then like, you know what the answer is. But I went back after that. That's when I found out that happened in April. It was Columbus day in October of the same year. What happened from April to October? I didn't talk to him. I didn't see him. Nothing. Did you have to block his number? Or? I actually refused to block his number because that was part of a me thing. I knew that if I blocked his number, I wouldn't have the satisfaction of, okay, you can do this. You can ignore him. If it didn't exist, then I didn't know. And it wasn't your own willpower. Right. If I run into him, am I going to talk to him? Or So I knew that if I could still get the text messages and calls and ignore them, then I could not talk to him. Obviously that didn't work because I talked to him again. <laughs> so the yeah. games we play with ourselves. <laughs> he uh, moved to California for the summer with his grandparents and was coming back into town. I didn't know yet, but he just randomly texted me. He hadn't texted me in, in a good month or so and texted me and was like, hey, I'm flying into the airport tonight. Can you come pick me up? And I was like, no, I didn't even answer him. I just ignored it, but I knew he was in town. And so curiosity got the better of me. And I was like, oh, it's been long enough. Like I won't, I could have a conversation with him and leave. So I told him that I didn't want him to know where I was living or any identifying anything. Right. So I told him I would meet him in town and we met and we had dinner and then we got a hotel room and <laughs> I ended up going back to, well, the house wasn't there, but the property a couple of days after that. And he had moved into the building and built like a little apartment. And he had a girl living with him that I was unaware of until right before we got there. And that was a whole fiasco. Like a girlfriend? So at the time, I was told that this was a girl that he met through AA 
and that what could possibly go wrong (laughs) and that she just needed a place to stay until she finished her outpatient program and then she could go back home that's also how she introduced herself to me i mean jesus christ we hung out together like we did you know all the things together whatever and i was like oh you're so nice like you're helping this girl that's how clouded i was anyway i was staying at a friend's house in the same city one night and he was gonna come over and eat dinner he was like oh i really miss the food that used to cook and i was like oh i'll make you dinner it'll be great and i was watching two kids that we were at their house so they were friends with him too and they were like yeah invite him over like he's doing so much better it'll be great you know whatever we didn't show up. And so I was like, that's unlike him to do that, especially with food. I mean, you know, the key's <laughs> coming. Uh, so I kept trying to call him, kept trying to, and I was like, I'm not going to go over there. Like, I'm not going to go over there. And so it was the next morning he texted me. And he was like, so sorry, I, I fell asleep. I knew he was lying, but I was like, oh, yep, it's fine. You know, whatever. So I went over there that night and I knew that he was using again. I cannot do this again. And he was like, I don't want to do this. You know, this is part of it. I, sometimes I can't control it. And so I'm like, okay, like how much am I going to take? You have to know that relapse is a real thing. And all of these things are possibilities if you decide to be with this person. And so I was like, yeah, I can accept all those things, whatever, let's do it. So I started going to a meetings with him and NA meetings, trying to understand what's going on. And along with his roommate who tagged along to all of them. <laughs> and he just randomly one day was like, I'm going back to California. I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. And he's like, I still want to be with you, but I need to go and make money. And this place is a trigger for me and you know, whatever. And so I was like, cool. Yes. Go to California. So take him to the airport and me and his roommate lived together for two months in a building outside of where my house used to be. So uh, he was in California. It was Valentine's Day. And he called me and he was like, we were getting off the phone. And he was like, well, I, I got to go. Um, I'm getting ready for a date. And I'm like, a date with who? Because I'm your girlfriend. And he was like, I, I'm just out here trying to find somebody that I can get married to and have kids with. Because if I'm being honest, I don't want my genetics to mix with your genetics. And I hung up on him and I have not talked to him since. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was the last conversation. <laughs> Um, that I ever had with him. Actually, the last text message he ever sent me was, we don't even have to be friends. He was back in town. We don't even have to be friends. We don't even have to talk. Can you please just come make me some food? That was his last text message to me. my (laughs) God. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Not laughing at you at all. I'm laughing at the... I laugh at me. I'm laughing at at the audacity of it all. Yeah. When When you repeat things to other people, like it sounds... It can sound funny, but when you're in it, it doesn't feel that way. No. Like when you're in it, yeah. it makes perfect logical sense of why you are now living in this apartment, in this building next to the house that he burned down. Yep. Like it makes sense to you because you're in the middle of it. And like, obviously from the outside looking in, it's funny, but like, I absolutely know because I have been there. Well, I haven't been living in a building next to the house that we burned down. <laughs> but I, it's an experience. You should try it. <laughs> I have done as equally as naive maybe mm-hmm, things same. because it completely made sense at the time. Like yeah. this person is trying and I believe them and I love them. And like this, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I try to help this person rebuild? Yeah. And we're so ingrained in being caretakers and being helpful that it's just really difficult yeah. to cut it off. And I feel the empathy and like the caretaker part of me is so strong. There have been so many kids that have lived with me. I mean, just in that sense of, I just want to save everyone. Right. And so he was the only person I didn't have to save 
until I thought I did. And then it was like, oh, I'm really good at this. I can do this. I can. Right. But yeah, no, going back to in the middle of it, it's not funny. I was so mentally exhausted and and physically exhausted and just trying to going to work every day, Mm -hmm. showering, doing all the things. You must have had like a really awesome boss at that time. (laughs) I did. (laughs) I had a really, yeah, uh, that job honestly should have fired me. But um, (laughs) it's it's weird too, because it's like a, a lasting thing. So now when something is too... Obviously, I've learned better how to set boundaries and limit what I give to people. But if something is too mentally tasking for me, I'm immediately like, nope, I am tired. I don't, I can't do this. It is good as far as setting boundaries, but it's like that effect of like, it just puts you right back in that exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird because it's not anywhere near. I would take half the shit that I've been through since then over one moment of that interaction ever again. So talk to me about one thing that we've talked about prior to this, your steps after him, like your healing process, I think is really remarkable in how much time you took and and all of the steps that you took to heal yourself. So I would love for you to talk about that. I have goosebumps. It's weird. Proud of you. Thanks. (laughs) It's weird because I don't like to talk about myself. I feel like I'm giving myself a pat on the back and I deserve it. Absolutely deserve it. It's important. This is why I'm asking. If you don't want to share it, you don't have to. But so many people just shove those things down and then they carry that into the next relationship, into the next relationship, into the next thing. Yeah. You know, it never really gets dealt with. It continues to be hurtful and it continues to traumatize and ruin good things that could come their way. So that's why I want you to share because it's such a great piece of your story. But if you're not comfortable with it, absolutely, you don't have to. No, it's, it is uncomfortable, but it's not something I want to talk about. So my grandma had died. The reason I bring her up is because I had a thought one night. I moved back in with my parents and was in this room, this interior room that had no windows. And I was just going insane because I didn't want to be around anyone. I just wanted to be by myself. I was sleeping a lot. And... It was so dark in that room all the time. That was the first time that I was like, seasonal depression is a thing. Like Mm -hmm. it is real. I wanted to not be in that room, but I didn't want to be with anybody else. And there was nowhere else in that place that I could be without somebody else being there. And my parents were really good about pushing me, right? Or like not asking me questions or just letting me be. But my brother was also living there for a brief moment. Like he was finishing college and he's seven years younger than me. So he was doing normal things. I was laying in my bed one night and I remember my grandma telling me I always... I had a boyfriend in eighth grade that I dated till I was 21. Right after I broke up with him, I was dating someone else within a month. Right after I broke up with him, I was I was dating Justin. Like it, it was just a constant, you know, I was never single. And they were all long relationships. I remember her telling me after I broke up the first boyfriend, she was like, you need to take time to fix whatever is wrong with you and whatever happened in that relationship before like you just move on to the neck, the whole cliche, you know, don't bleed on someone else. Right. But I was just like, man, you're old and like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so she had passed away while me and Justin were dating. And she was always the one that I would talk to about big things. Her and my mom were always the people that I would talk to. I love that. Yeah. And like, I really wanted to talk to her and obviously I couldn't. And so like that started me thinking about what she had said. And I was like, okay, I cannot sit in this room and just sleep for my entire life. Cause that was my fix for everything. If I was tired. If I was angry, if I was whatever emotion I was having, that was too much. Like I would just sleep. I would sleep on my lunch breaks at work in my car. There were times that I would stay after work in the parking lot and sleep. I would just sleep. Your brain was trying to shut it down. Yeah. Too much data, too much information. I can't tell you how many Walmart parking lots I've slept in. Just like, you know what? I need to take a nap right now. I just need to, to sleep right now. You're lucky you're here to tell the tale. I mean, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's a vulnerable state. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and at that point, honestly, I was so like, it would not have mattered. Like, yep, you just, you just take me, man. So I started. Can't be any more traumatic than what I've just done. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, you think you can hurt my feelings? But no. Okay. Like, what do I do? I went to school for social work. That, that was my bachelor's degree. So I had taken a lot of psychology classes. I had, I had a huge support system, a huge support system. So not only did I have my immediate family and friends, I have my best friend. We've been friends for 21 years this year. All of my friends are really longtime friends. So I had all of these people. I had, I did have work and like, that was my escape. That was the only place that I could just not think about or think about it. And it was fine. Everybody at that point, um, I was comfortable with telling what was going on or, and I was just honest, sometimes probably too much, but I could just be like, yeah, I'm just having a shitty day. I just need a few minutes. There were some resources through my job. That company is amazing with the resources for mental health. So there were some resources that I I used uh, through them to start going to therapy. And I had been in therapy a little bit when I was younger. And so telling someone the story all over again was exhausting and I was pushing it off. But I finally started going back to therapy for a little while and it was very intermittent. It was not a consistent thing. And then I started going to Al-Anon and some support groups, those kinds of things. And then luckily, maybe not so lucky for her, but I have a really close friend that went through something similar. We have a trauma bond. We started talking a lot and her husband actually passed away in the middle of it. So she had a really awful marriage for 23 years and then met the guy that she should have been with her entire life. And he passed away in the middle of it. So oh my God, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, on their fifth an- or fourth anniversary, excuse me. Whew. But I moved in with her and I, I had a distraction because she was dealing with all of this grief and whatever, right? And I could take care of her. And I could take care of the kids and I could do all the things. But once she started coming out of that, we started talking about just the trauma, right? And we got super honest with each other about all the things that we had been through while we were friends that we didn't know about. And she started going to therapy. So I started going to therapy again. And you learn all the coping mechanisms. Normal me would have jumped right back into a relationship. And there was plenty of opportunity, right, to to do that. There were I mean, there were plenty of nights being like, fuck it, like, let's just go to the bar and get drunk and like, see what happens. But something in me, even on those nights was like, I want to learn like who I am and figure out what I actually want. Cause I don't even know what I want. Like, why do I keep ending up with these men? Because the first two, you know, the first one cheated on me. The second one, I found out he had a third child while we were dating and had warrants in three states. How do I keep ending up with these men? This is not who I am. And that's an important point because none of those things are your fault. Mm-hmm. I don't mean it like any kind of victim blaming, but it's important to look at that in yourself, yeah. like to just to protect yourself in the future of what do I not see or what do I need to see? Again, not that any of those things are your fault by any means, but identifying what it is that you, and for you, it's probably caretaking, you know, right. But working on those things. So you recognize them faster. Mm -hmm. Because I was very attracted to those men. And even when I I didn't date for three years, um, but even when I started thinking about dating again, there was still that man, I'm really attracted to these men. Like, and I know it, but now I'm aware and I can, nope, not going to do that again. (laughs) But there was a long time in that, that I remember talking to my girlfriend and being like, I am so bored. This is so boring. And telling my therapist that too. And it's not boring. It's just not chaos. Right. And I still get it every once in a while. Like there's nothing going on. There's no drama. There's no excitement. I can go to bed and actually get eight hours of sleep. And sometimes it gets boring because there's nothing to take care of. There's nothing outside of normal every day. But yeah, it was just three years really of 
being super honest with myself and being really gentle with myself and understanding that it's okay. Yes, you've been attracted to these men because I learned a lot in my therapy about my childhood and like about things that made me who I am. Accepting all of those things and figuring out these are my triggers, these are the things that happen and how am I going to deal with those things when they happen again because they will. And then I started dating again and that was weird for a while because I was attracted to those men still. I'm always going to be attracted to those men. It's exciting and it's, right. it's, it is fun. Right. I mean, until it's not. Right. <laughs> um, right. Totally get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there were some weird ones in there that I had to be like, man, I could spend a year or two with you and like <laughs> see what happens. Like we could see if you burn a house down. Um, <laughs> but the first one that I had to be like, hey, I'm just not interested. I am interested. I'm really interested. <laughs> Telling them like that was so powerful that Ooh, I was a book, like, hey, of red flags to yeah, me. Right. <laughs> But it was that moment that I was, I can say no. I don't have to say yes. I know that this is not what I want. And I made a list that night. These are the hard stops of things that I won't accept. And these are the things that I absolutely have to have. And these are the things that I would like to have. That's so huge. Yeah. Yeah. I was dating for maybe six or seven months and then met the guy that I'm with now. And Tell our listeners that there are happy endings. (laughs) There are happy endings. Tell us about the amazing guy. We met online dating. Uh, which is a scary place anyway, but we met online dating and I rightfully so very cautious of talking to anyone, but we started talking and he has two children. So there was a, a period of time. I wasn't comfortable meeting him when we first started talking just out of safety. And I don't know this man. So that went on for about a week. And then the next week he had his children and he was very honest with me about, you know, my kids come first. And when I have my kids, like I'm a single parent, I'm, I'm not going to get a babysitter to go on a date. And I really respected that. And it was really attractive to me. I never wanted kids. I did want kids, but when I was with Justin, I chose, I love this man so much that I could not have children. That was the, and I don't regret it now. There's no part of me that regrets that because that was a decision that I made. He was no part of that decision. It wasn't even a conversation. I just knew this is what I'm doing. But I actually avoided men with children. And I mean, I saw a picture on his profile that he, there, you know, there was two kids, but I, I didn't really know if he had kids or not. I don't think yet. And so when he was like, you know, I have my kids this week, I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. But when we started having those conversations, you know, the kids would go to bed at night and that's when we would talk and the conversations about like, I put my kids first, that was really attractive to me. And it was weird because, oh, you have other obligations and things. And this isn't something that was attractive to me before right? You're stable and I'm finding yeah. that hot all of a sudden. Right. It was, yeah. <laughs> like you have a job and a house and a <laughs> car and all these things, but it was almost immediately. I, I told him from the get go, like, I want to be completely honest with you about the things that I'm not ready to share with you yet. So with this guy, you're able to have conversations and be honest about feelings. And yeah, I was really nervous to tell him some things like some of my, I guess, requirements because I was so used to catering to someone else what someone else wanted. It was the first time that I was really being vocal about these are the things that I need. And I was such at a place in my head that it's okay if you can't give those to me. We just know it won't work. I want you to do whatever makes you happy and I want to do what makes me happy. And if it works together, then great. And it was the first time in my whole life that I was like, oh, I can do that. Like That's okay. And an adult will respond with (laughs) the same. It doesn't have to be 
a drama control like yeah you know let's let's go on a date and like let's see how this works i told him that it was a big deal for me about like the line thing because i feel like that was the biggest traumatic part of that relationship with it wasn't the house it wasn't the it was i didn't know all the pieces and i had to ask the right questions so i didn't have all the pieces to make a, a decision for myself right. on like what happened you can't consent even when you don't have all of the facts right it felt like someone was controlling what i do really in my head with the gears i'm gonna make you do this thing because I didn't have all the pieces. So I told him, I was like, my like number one hard stop is you can't lie to me. You could tell me that you don't want to answer something or you can tell me that you're not comfortable talking about something. But if it's something that's going to affect me, then I want to know about it. And that includes lies of omission. Like you can't not tell me something if it's going to affect me. He agreed and we had all the conversations you probably shouldn't have or that you're you're stereotypically not supposed to have first. <laughs> <laughs> So, get this out here right now. Let's talk about, right. Like you obviously have children with another woman, you know, like right. what's that like? Um, what's the, you know, what's the money situation like? Like all the things, right? We are old enough that like, let's just not waste anybody's time. Here's right. the thing. Yeah. And yeah, lay it all out there. Yeah. And so, and I mean, that's how it's been since then. There's obviously still things we're learning about each other. It's fairly new. It's such a, I already know there's no judgment. It's just like these things happen to you. And, you know, and he's, he said to me a couple of times and I've said it to myself a couple of times, but yes, I hate what I went through and I don't ever want to do that again. But if I had to go through all of that again, to learn what I learned about myself and to like come out on this side and be happy and yeah. be able to set boundaries and figure it out and understand that I'm not responsible for anyone else's emotions or actions or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would do it again. Yeah. I'm glad that there's a happy ending and we'll give listeners some hope of the work really does pay off, even if it doesn't pay off in that way. Like it pays off in so many ways. Yeah. As much as it sucks to do at the time and is not fun to go through, unpack, analyze all of those things, it really does pay dividends in the long run. Yeah. Definitely. So anything that you want to tell listeners who may be in a similar situation or are afraid they are in a similar situation? Get out. Right. They're not going to change. Um, and if they do, then it will work when they've done the work on themselves. Right. Like you can't, you can't even really be there for the work. Like you just have to let them own it and, mm -hmm. and do it. Yeah. It's great advice. Yeah. Absolutely. I is. agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, often we were talking about how it's hard to feel like you're leaving someone alone to deal with things on their own. But it comes back to that. Your mental health isn't your fault, but it's your responsibility. Yeah. You know, your, if you have substance abuse disorder, you know, the things that led to that may not be your fault, mm -hmm. but it's now your responsibility. Like you can't bring other people down because of your own shit. So I'm very, very proud of you. Thank you so much, Kate, for sharing all of that with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends, follow us on our socials at NGCOMPod, or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries, move on about your day. If you wanna share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening.